Welcome back to the What's Up and What's Next podcast, the greatest podcast of all times. Today I am joined by Fahim Satshadina, a very, very good friend of mine, very, very intellectual and also knowledgeable in the startup and technology scene. And today he is joining us to give us a bit of a background on what he's been up to and uh, what's new within the testing space. Welcome, Fahim. Thanks, man. Great to be here. Thank you. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. You know, trying to stay active during lockdown, trying to exercise, but failing miserably, trying to cook, but also failing miserably. I work in an industry that's always growing and thankfully is still, it's incredibly dynamic and we still have, you know, a roster of companies and clients that continually want to work with us. So I take that, I take that as a good sign. So two thumbs up for me. That's good. I'm glad to hear that you're trying your best to stay active. Um, interestingly enough, I've known you for about a year now, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of the people that may be listening to this don't know much about you. So could you tell us a bit more about yourself for starters? Yeah, sure. So I work in technology and have been for the past seven years now, but I've been involved within startups and emerging businesses for about 10 years. So since university, so a very, very, very too long time ago, I was at university in Manchester studying economics and politics and came across the technology and startups and kind of stumbled upon it by accident and really loved the, the vibe, the people, the direction that it was going in and decided to go headfirst within that. And I felt way more attuned towards that sort of area than I did in my degree and haven't looked back since. And then, you know, the, the main bulk of that time has been spent at a company called Global App Testing, of which I was, you know, employee number one and helped start that. And now we have, you know, a range of different offices and, and people all around the world and some amazing, amazing people that we work with every single day that, who I absolutely adore and love. So it's been, a, it's been a, a wild ride and a bit of a roller coaster, but hopefully I can share some, some pearls of wisdom if I can call it that, during that time that I've been doing that. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to diving a bit more into global app testing. But before we jump onto that, I'd like to take a step back and just go back to the whole tech startup world, because that's where you really uh, began your journey, wasn't it? So could you tell us a bit more about the beginning of how you got involved within the startup scene? Yeah, sure. So there's a, f- a few different things here. And I'll take you to the very first instance where a friend of mine had started a company called Student Money Saver. So kind of think about moneysupermarket.com, but for students. And he was very much about students. Have, there's this massive niche of students looking for how do they spend their money more wisely? How do they think about you know, ISAs or investment accounts and things like this? And he wanted to set that side up. He had just graduated from Manchester. He brought me on. I was a first year student at that. I started off as one of the editors of one of the sections. I can't even remember what the section was now. I think it was something like finance or like like money accounts or something like that. Uh, I was I was helping him out on the editing side and writing articles and thinking about how do we increase the exposure of this how do we get more students involved with this and realizing that this is actually going to be a super beneficial thing for them to read up on and uh, to listen in on so that was from doing that and trying to grow that that was probably my first taste of what it was like being involved in startups i think you know if i take a step even before that i was involved in things like you know young enterprise or you know i did economics and business as a levels at 
uh, during, during my A-level time. And I kind of got a taste for it. And I kind of thought this entrepreneurship thing seems exactly where I want to go. I also grew up in a household and my family are entrepreneurs themselves. You know, they have businesses, they have, uh, you know, old school brick and mortar businesses, whether it be off licenses or shops, or news agents or whatever it might be, post offices. And so I kind of got that bug of wanting to be in charge of my own destiny and wanting to start something from nothing. And that's always driven me. The key is to start starting something from nothing and turning it into something. And so I got involved from the startup side uh, most more properly in Manchester when I went to university over there. And then from there, it kind of just took off. I got involved in the entrepreneurship society there. You know, I had a study abroad part of my degree where I went to Australia. I got involved in the startup scene there and the entrepreneurship scene there. And I took part in like tons of you know, hackathons and startup weekends and events. And just met so many people through doing that that I just thought, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. Sounds good. I'm really um, impressed as well the fact that you mentioned that you, you like to build something out of nothing, right? And that's what sort of drives you into being so involved in that scene. And that's amazing. I understand that you were a part of the founding team at Global App Testing. Could you tell us a bit more about how that experience came about and what does Global App Testing as a company do? Yeah, sure. So in terms of how it came about, so while I was doing all of these hackathons after I graduated, I continued doing that. And I was doing hackathons around Europe, so in places like Belgium and France and in other parts of the UK that I wasn't, I wasn't living in at the time. And from doing that, I also realized, you know, yes, I love being part of that community, but I had just graduated and needed some money. So I did some freelancing work in growth marketing and data analytics for a growth, at the time it was called a growth hacking agency. But essentially it's a bit like a you know, user acquisition or growth marketing in uh, agency that basically helped com- helped other companies grow their user base. So I was involved in that. I did some freelancing work. And pretty much a month into that, I had got in touch with my cousin and his business partner who were kind of, they sold off different assets of their previous company and were kind of winding down, which was their beauty search engine, uh, or at least a recommendation algorithm company. So essentially it helped people to find beauty products, so the right foundation for them, specifically for women, as you imagine, but I'm sure males can use it as well, uh, specifically to help them find the right beauty products for them. So they were winding the assets down for that, and they were looking at a new industry and a new space. And one of the biggest problems, organic problems they had when building this recommendation engine, to think of it like for Google for beauty products, was testing it. And every time they released software, testing was always a nightmare. It was always a huge problem for them. They didn't have the right devices or the right versions, or they couldn't get enough people to actually look at all the different areas of their site and make sure that it was working okay and make sure that people could check out with the products and making sure the algorithm was, was accurate in what it was supposed to be displaying. So from that, they had whittled down a few different options and realized that this space and the, the testing industry was an area they wanted to get into because it was a problem that they had. And a lot of their friends within tech, uh, they had their own kind of tech startup group and community themselves. And they said that testing was a huge nightmare for them too. So from that, they then, you know, they said what they wanted to do was host a hackathon, but for testers. And they were like, who do we know who runs hackathons? And 
my cousin was like, I think my cousin does some wacky stuff with that at uni. Let me get in touch with him. And, you know, a 30-minute conversation turned into like a five-hour life conversation where, you know, the janitor came in and was trying to kick us out so we could turn off the lights and go home. And from that, we realized that there was a good connection. There was chemistry between us. And I'm thankful to be working with them to this day, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, we ran that hackathon. We called it a testathon. We still run them all around the world as kind of a not-for-profit hackathon, but for testers, where testers turn up, they form teams, they uh, test some really, really cool applications, and they win prizes for the types of issues and bugs that they find. And so that kind of does form a huge basis of global app testing today. You know, since then, they said, you know, it works so well, then why don't you join? We're starting up this company called Global App Testing, um, where we want to help people with QA, or quality assurance, as it calls, uh, and testing issues and problems. And I was like, hey, why not? I'm, you know, I'm young, I've got nothing holding me down. Uh, I'm looking to get in the startup scene even more. And, you know, six and a half years later, here, here I am still. That's good. Um, and it sounds like you're also really passionate about the testing space as well. Um, mm. Could you just briefly tell us what, what, in essence, does global app testing do? Yeah, sure. So Global App Testing is a company that, well, the kind of one strap line for this is we help companies who are looking to scale up their QA testing process and help them to release high quality products, whether it be websites or apps, without any bugs. So the greater, and I'll speak about this a bit later on, but the greater purpose around us is to give you know our customers the ability to instantly and effortlessly find the bugs impacting their users. And I'll touch upon why purpose is so important probably later on in our discussion. But that's what really drives us. It's about if we can help other companies release even better products by having our amazing group of professional testers from around the world jump on that application, find bugs or find issues on different devices in different countries and different languages, then we can surface so many more insights and issues that maybe that company might not have been able to find. So by them managing the spike in work that they have from a testing perspective and working with us, it just means that they have a lot more confidence when they release. So everyone that we work with, they basically are answering the question, should I release or not? And we give them the answer to that. And we give them the confidence that they should release or if they shouldn't. And so the, some of the companies that we work with since you know, founding, and uh, thankfully I've been part of a lot of these discussions and conversations is with people like Facebook, Google, Spotify, Procter & Gamble, Shell, John Lewis, and some amazing, amazing companies. You know, We get access to some of the amazing applications that Warner Brothers, Warner Bros. Games, give us before they're even released. So we got to see the Game of Thrones app before a lot of other people did. Uh, we are working with, you know, when we think, when I think about Facebook, they are releasing on Instagram, of course, under their umbrella. They're releasing new features all the time. So for us to get access to that and to see that before it hits the public is pretty awesome and amazing. And the way that we help these companies has grown over that period of time as well. So, yeah, it's amazing to have some of these companies on our books that we work with and uh, to give them that assurance and confidence. And, you know, I hope that I hope that we can continue doing that. And I'm pretty confident that we're in a, a really great position to, to do that even better now. 
Um, that sounds amazing. I'm actually really impressed uh, the customers that you've got. Um, I'm aware you also work with like Microsoft, WhatsApp, and um, Depot. Um, those are great names and remarkable that you guys get to work with them and many other companies as well under your umbrella. I was interested in understanding the, the difference between crowdsourcing and outsourcing because I understand that your company uh, refers uh, to crowdsourcing. What is crowdsourcing and why and how is it different to outsourcing, if, if at all it is different? Yeah, sure. So this kind of touches upon, you know, when we think about the history of software development and how it's evolved. So outsourcing, which still is a very common way for people to utilize or leverage services that are provided by another firm. So when I think about outsourcing, I think, okay, I'm going to... Uh, let, leave this piece of work and I'm going to give it to another company to sort out. And so in this case, it might be, I want to give it to a company in a, in a different part of the world or in a different region or who specialize in, in one area. The thing with outsourcing is you are going to be using that the company that you work with, they are likely going to be based in, let's say, one location or one area. So if I give it off to a company, let's say, you know, in your, in your hometown, your home country of Portugal, I will only work with the Portuguese team. And that might be a testing team, it might be a development team, it might be even like a marketing team if I was outsourcing services there. So when I leverage that, that company and that firm to do that and to do that work, I am obliged to stick to their hours and their capabilities and resources. So if they only have a set number of devices and if they only work nine to five, I'm only going to work with that one particular firm. And one thing that happens within testing is sometimes you get the benefit of having new eyes and new perspectives. So if you can get new people looking at an application, they will find things that people who've been looking at the application for the past weeks, the past three months, will not be able to see because they have a level of blindsidedness. So when it comes to outsourcing, it's very much I'm working with one firm, I'm sticking to you know, their hours, their capabilities, their resources. The thing about crowd testing and crowdsourcing is you are leveraging the power of the crowd. And sometimes a crowd can be pretty big and pretty knowledgeable. So when you think about working with a crowd, it might be, okay, I want to work with a crowd, but I need to, no, I need to work with people who are based in Portugal, in the UK, in the US, in Australia, in Vietnam, in Russia. And by having the kind of think of it like an on-tap ability or on-demand ability. So you know how you go on Uber and you click a couple of buttons and then a, like a car pulls up in my, in my, like next to my household. That's exactly the same concept when it comes to crowd testing and having an on-demand service. So if it's on-tap and if it's available, it means that you have access to so many more people. So within our crowds, we have 40,000 professional testers that we work with, and all of these are vetted people. People, they're not like the average Joe on the street that I've just called and say, hey, come, on, come in our community. These are people <laughs> who've gone through a, a rigorous kind of assessment to be where they are and to have the level of quality that they have. On top of that, you have access to way more devices, way more versions, which is a huge part of releasing applications to make sure that those areas can be covered. And then finally, an area about languages, as well, so covering more languages, more countries, but also it's new perspectives, as I was touching upon at the beginning. So with outsourcing, again, those testers will become familiar with the system over time, but sometimes it's so beneficial to not just have people with domain experience, but also super important to have people with new perspectives, because they're going to they're gonna give you completely new ideas. So that's really the benefit of 
of kind of crowdsourcing over outsourcing. But I'd say, you know, both have its place. It just depends on the type of application and how they work. But we work in tandem with a lot of, a lot of clients who actually leverage uh, a little bit of both. So um, by the sounds of it, crowdsourcing is actually more beneficial because it's expanding um, your spectrum when it comes to testing, right? So you mentioned you work with 40,000. And let me say that again, 40,000 professional mm. testers, which absolutely incre- incredible number um, and for a company to be working with. Um, just a quick question. Does that include just other companies or does that also include freelancers or contractors? Um, how do you guys manage it? Yeah, it's kind of all the above and more. <laughs> so a lot of the time it can be developers, people who are looking to improve their skill set within testing, but they have more of a software engineering background, but they also take part in testing projects that we give them based on a level of experience. There are going to be people who also have a strong testing background and a freelance uh, and they work with us, and then you know everything. Everything else you mentioned is where it could be. It could be specific companies. It could be you know a variety of different people. Even even with outside of the testing domain, but maybe uh, they have experience elsewhere. So an example is you know some of our clients, for instance, they have a really strong focus on healthcare. So when it comes to healthcare, what we want to have is if we can have healthcare practitioners also on our books with an area or some knowledge of testing, they can bring a different perspective from a healthcare standpoint, not just from a technical know-how testing perspective. So if we can have more and more people have a range of different demographics from age to gender to a number of different areas, that's only going to benefit the kind of on-demand nature of some of the clients that we have. Okay, I'm starting to get the feel and why it's advantages to uh, using um, and uh, recurring to global app testing. So you just mentioned now that being able to match um, a company's specific industry and space uh, and needs of their platform and features to specific testers that have or share or know those specific ins and outs is what will increase the quality of the testing because it's so specific and so, um, I guess, dedicated to whatever the context is. Uh, did I get the right idea there? Yeah, 100%. And if you go back to the previous example from the outsourcing standpoint, a gaming company might want to go to a gaming outsource testing provider or company. That's one option that they can go through. However, they can also go through a crowd testing option that has gaming expertise and people who've tested lots and lots of games. But on top of that, the real world user that they're probably trying to appeal to may not have that gaming background. They might just like to play casual games when they're you know, traveling to work or when they you know, have got some dead time that they want to use up by playing games. So by also having people who don't have that experience, but who are likely to be real users, you are going to get an insane amount of benefits from doing that and way more perspectives than if you just leveraged like an outsourced firm to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty interesting. And it brings me uh, quite nicely to, to the next question uh, and the next topic, which is um, the software development life cycle, right? So mm-hmm. we all know um, that cycle to be basically the necessary steps and stages that will fulfill um, the delivery of a software development project. In this cover stages from requirements and analysis all the way to uh, delivery of a release. Um, I want to ask you, do you think that testing is undervalued? 
Well, that's a good question. I would say the the conversation around testing, I'd say looking back, if I was to look back 20, 30 years in the industry, I would say that testing is one thing that people are always looking to cut because I, you know, I see some great memes out there. Maybe we can share them later in like the notes or something of one. There's one in particular that I'm thinking of, of like, you know, a big cat, which is basically like closing the mouth of a, of a kitten of like its baby of its kitten and the speech bubble, the, <laughs> the, the kitten saying, I think I found a bug in production. And then it was a tester. And then the cat, it might be, it might be the, the, the kitten's mother, whatever it might be, he's got the title of project manager or product manager. And their speech bubble is like, shut up. Like, this is going to production. Don't say anything. And I absolutely, I absolutely love it because I do feel for a lot of, and I have a lot of sympathy for a lot of the testing community because how they've told it to me, and again, I've, I've been in the space for 10 years. There have been people who've been there for 20, 30 years plus. And they tell me that it was a lot worse before when there were lots and lots of people who just, whose opinions weren't valued and testing was always kind of an inferior or secondary part of the main conversation. So testing is something that has been looked to have been cut at various points, especially in the software development lifecycle, which typically happens at the end of some companies' development process. But I think now, in 2020, I'm seeing more and more companies integrating testing much earlier in their development process. This is great because it means that testing is part of the conversation at an earlier stage. So that's great for the testers because it means that their work is being valued as part of a more collaborative and holistic conversation. The second part is it means that collectively for the team and the company, you are releasing a much higher quality product because you're baking testing and quality into the process earlier. And kind of the third element of that is that from a quality standpoint, Overall, it means that you are in a much more comfortable position when you are looking to find out what went wrong. So if you're looking to figure out, okay, let's do, you know, there's, there's something really common within the industry called the five whys. And this is from like an outside of testing conversation as well. You can even apply it in your everyday life with five whys. Like, why did this happen? Okay, well, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Etc. So when you're doing what's called like a root cause analysis to figure out, okay, what is the key thing if we're going to go really, really deep, what went wrong? What could we change? It's going to change and make sure we never make that mistake again. It becomes so much easier to have conversations like that. And it doesn't become a blame game, which is what it used to be when testing wasn't really part of that active conversation. I totally agree. I, I do agree with the fact that maybe back in the days it was uh, a bit undervalued and you see all these memes and jokes about it. And you see all these yeah. like sort of love-hate relationship between testers and developers and testers and managers um uh, sort of jokey type of uh, vibe um but I, I do agree with you that in this day and age it's become more important than ever um i think it's important also to reiterate why is it important right why is testing so important for uh, you know companies that are delivering um at some point to production and for those of you who, who who don't know what production means production is effectively the same thing as saying a live customer environment um and um, the question stems here for you fahim is why is testing so important oh man 
man, I could speak all day about it. <laughs> but, you know, one, one, one like real example that I can give to people around this is, you know, when you think about Amazon and Snapchat, they release, you know, at least I think this is a stat, one of, one of them releases about 13 seconds, I think it's Snapchat, um, and the other is 11.9 seconds a day, they release to the live environment. So to the app or to the users so when you're on Amazon's website, Every 11.9 seconds, the change is being made to some part of that site, which is pretty, which is like amazing to see that we've come as far as to say that when 10, 15 years ago, that would be impossible or unheard of. So in terms of test, testing overall allows you to increase the confidence of your application to the real user. The last thing that people want, and we work with a lot of companies who are also, you know, they're not the big names, they're not the... Facebooks or the Microsofts or the Googles of the world. They are companies that are looking to build their reputation and they're fast growing. For them, getting feedback from users and having a real strong, loyal community and a loyal base is everything for them. You know, Spotify, for instance, when they started, they relied upon a really strong, passionate, ardent community and people who love music, right? There's still people who love music, who love giving them feedback all the time. And they really relied on that strong community. Really similar with Snapchat as well. You know, they started off where Snapchat had spread in high schools in the US. And that's how it got its start. If you're releasing buggy products to those users, they, to, to an extent, they will still love you, but they will have a deep hatred that is going to be ever growing. And they're going to say, you know what? There's going to be another application that's going to come along, which is going to do something better and faster. If we think about Skype, right? You know, no offense to anyone listening to this from Skype, but I think Skype had missed a huge opportunity because Zoom has been the go-to platform in this pandemic and people say you know, Zoom went viral. Zoom have been building a great company for a really long time and they've built the foundations so that they are the go-to application. Even, you know, Google Meet has come along and they offer a better overall features or, or product features but no, I don't see people switching over to Google Meet. We're doing this over Zoom right now. Yes, we so are. So in terms of, we are, exactly. Shout so, out to Zoom. Shout out to Zoom. Shout, big shout out to Zoom <laughs> for just staying up and maintaining their infrastructure. So thank you, Zoom engineers and Zoom people. So I would say that, you know, it's really down to, if you have a quality product, you are going to have a greater likely chance of having a happier user base. And we have tons of stats about the... You know, the fact that people don't download as many apps as they used to, right? When I think about when I first got into the industry, you know, 10 plus years ago, I was downloading a new app like every day. Nowadays, you find, you, you'd be like really lucky if I download an app every, like, uh, each week. At the minute, I'm probably downloading an app every like two weeks. I don't want to clog up my phone with more and more apps, especially if they're not of high quality. So because of that, I would say that the competition has got much stronger. So it's super important to have a really, really strong product to market and testing is a big part as to how companies can do. Whether they, wh wh however they do it, I would say do some testing. Like whatever you do, prioritize it because it's going to be super important. And it's usually something that's, that's neglected and, and found out later. So I would say that if you're thinking about it early enough, you're going to be in a good, a good space. Yeah, 100%. Because I think the, the main thing to take away from testing is you want to provide quality software to the customer and that will always be the go-to uh, and the golden mine for testing if you're not testing properly the higher chances are of encountering bugs or issues with the features and like you said 
customers might still love you to an extent, but they will have this concepted idea that company A with product ABC is not as good as another company and another product. And that's where comparisons start happening. Um, and, you know, um, you mentioned like remote working tools such as Skype, Zoom, and, you know, it's, it's quite booming that market right now. And, you know, Microsoft Teams, Slack, and shout out to all the remote working tools, by the way, there's no favorites here. We um, are just advocating for the fact that it's booming and it is in need and we need the quality. And that, that applies across all industries, right? Um, there's various different types of testing and we could literally have days of conversation about them. I'm sure you'll agree to this. Could you just, I guess, highlight uh, what is functional testing and what is non-functional testing uh, just for people listening? Sure. So functional testing is essentially the type of testing that helps you figure out whether your product is working or not. So is it functioning? the way that I expect it to work? Is it working as, as I expect it to? Is the expectation of what I think is going to happen next actually happening or not? So that's really the goal of functional testing. And there's various forms, you know, there's like unit testing or integration testing, which touch upon really different areas of, of a product. But I would say the goal of functional testing is always just to check, is the expectation I have like fulfilling itself? So if I expect that I click pay now and... I get a you know a receipt where I get a you know thank you your purchase has been confirmed. I know that functionally my application is working from that stage to you know the final stage of confirming my payment coming through. So when I think about non-functional testing, there are so many more parts to that, and we could talk about you know performance or stress testing and putting a load on the application. Can my application handle that amount of users you know pokemon go is a good example they went down you know the very in the very first two weeks they went down like three or four times uh when when pokemon go went viral that's because they couldn't handle the amount of load that they had from specific users when i think about you know bt sports is another good example during the champions league final they went down and there was a lot of very angry football fans who were not <laughs> happy about that when i think about other areas of testing, there could be security testing is another. So can hackers get into or penetrate the application through different uh, you know, types of ways, whether it be injecting some really bad code or whether it's through using some you know, different tools to try and uh, you know, hack the memory that might come across. So you know, we're on a call right now. There could be packets of information that I'm sending you and in that kind of transmission as my packets are coming over to you, whether it be like documents or folders or whatever, in that mode, as I use, let's say, Google Drive, a hacker might be trying to steal specific information from those documents while that's in transmission. So those are some of the areas there. Uh, there's so many other areas that we can touch upon, but I'd say those are the ones that you know have really strong application to that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the clarification. That was really concise. I think one thing that I wanted to go back to to global app testing again was um, obviously I've looked into it. Uh, I'm familiar with them. I'm generally impressed with what you guys are doing. So honestly, well done to you and your company and everyone that's uh, making an effort right now and has been for, Excellent. you know, since 2013, right? Because the company has been around since 2013. Um, I guess we can consider that kind of fresh, kind of recent compared to other companies. I'm not sure if you'd still be in the in the bracket of startup or not. Uh, you'll have to tell me that. But 100% you guys know what you guys are doing. You guys advocate a lot 
for impact first testing. Uh, so we've spoken about categories of testing, which is like unit testing, exploratory testing, uh, integration testing, manual testing. There's all sorts of categories, but then there's also concepts and approaches. Impact first testing, as far as I'm aware, is a concept. Could you, or, or an approach maybe, could you explain that a bit further? Yeah, yeah, it's good research. So when it comes to impact first testing, there are really three main pillars that we have as part of delivering an impact first experience. So the first is around customer impact. When we think about customer impact, it's about how do you surface the most relevant insights and issues to a customer as quickly as possible. So when we think about working with our clients, we are not just thinking about working with a client, but we're thinking about the client who works with their user. And sometimes that could be a business and sometimes it can be a user. So when we work with Facebook, their users are us, if you still use Facebook, of course. Uh, but again, Instagram, WhatsApp, et cetera, which a lot, of, you know, a lot of people use, we are the users. So we need to have the mindset of what are those users going to be doing on the application that our testers need to be aware of or to know about when doing our testing on our side to make sure we're delivering good results back to them. So it's about surfacing up what does a relevant insight or issue look like to one company v the other. The next is about team, so team impact. How do we free up your team's time and take off the kind of testing, sometimes bottleneck is, being, is what it might refer to. So it might be a testing bottleneck, or it could just be the amount of work that they're doing from a testing basis. How can we shift some of that work over to another part, whether it be to us, or how can we make, basically how can we make them more efficient and more productive? So it's about making them essentially more awesome. The third is about company impact. So that's how do we help them craft a QA or a quality assurance and a quality strategy that allows them to be proactive about finding issues and finding problems. How do we help them find some operational efficiencies? So how do we help them make more money? How do we help them save money? And how do we help their teams be happier and more productive? That's what it is in an absolute nutshell around having a more kind of impact-first testing experience. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to uh, decreasing the costs as well, because when you're developing software, uh, the costs of finding bugs and issues and errors is significantly lower than when you find bugs in production in a customer live environment. Uh, I've read a few case studies and researches and it's actually 30 times, so that's three zero, 30 times more expensive and more costly to find a bug and fix it um, after it's been released to, to a live environment than it would be if you had found, found it in the earlier stages when you're architecturing and designing um, your system. And, you know, that, I think that is a very big takeaway uh, for companies that are trying to, one, stay lean uh, and, two, produce um, high-quality software. Um, that leads nicely to another topic, which is what are the technology trends within the testing space? Like, should we be aware of anything in specific? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. I would say just to touch upon the last and then, and then dive back into this question, we actually wrote a book on this subject. So we're not just, you know, another testing company out there. We, we're thought leaders in this industry. So we wrote a book called Leading Quality. And in one of the chapters, I think it's chapter five, we had discussed an, uh, a study done by IBM, you know, a global technology company. And one of the things that they had studied was the cost of releasing a bug earlier or later in the entire process. 
the cost of finding a bug earlier in the development process was about $20. Can you guess what the cost is if you are finding a bug in production? Just, just take a guess. Uh, so was, you said twenty dollars uh, within uh, the early stages of the development lifecycle. So if it was twenty dollars at that stage, I'm gonna go for a wild guess, but uh, above two grand. Yeah, good. It's a good. It's a good way to put it through the logic. And again, this is gonna vary by industry. The actual cost was twenty six thousand dollars. Twenty six thousand. Yeah, twenty six thousand dollars. And again, obviously for different companies who have global user bases, this is going to be a much bigger cost to them. So like if it affects 0.1% of Facebook's users, I mean, they have 2 billion users right now. You know, if we, th if we think about 0.1%, again, quick I'm doing, I'm trying to do quick maths here, but essentially that's like, what, 20 million, 20 million people, uh, if not more. So in terms of that, that's a huge amount of people for a company like that. But the average across all the companies and clients they did this study of was about $26,000. Mm -hmm. So when we think about new technology and technology to find that, it's actually really interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive. But a lot of people in testing now are investing in testing in production. So they're looking to actually do tests while the application has got the latest version or the latest build and it. and it might not have been tested before. More than likely, there have been some tests that have been run already, but they're going to do the majority of their tests when it's in front of users. Now, the reason for that is because if you can invest in having a really strong infrastructure, that means that, oh, if there is a bug that appears and your system is automatically pinged and said, oh, you know what? It looks like this part of the site is down what would happen is automatically, without any human doing this, the, the version would go back to the previous version that was working for the next users, meaning that they're not going to be impacted by the current bug or the current version. And so this is down to companies investing a lot in their infrastructure in production so that they're able to leverage some of these practices but also have the confidence to roll back in case something goes wrong. So it's kind of like a do-over that they have, an unlimited number of do-overs that they can do any point. So that's kind of like one of the big things that we see right now. But when you think about things like, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning within the testing space, we're seeing, you know, companies come to mind that can automatically create tests straight off the bat. And as soon as that feature is given to them, they can automatically create the test. One of the biggest pains of testing is actually creating tests. And no one wants to do it. No one wants. Yeah, you're laughing right now because you know you don't like doing it. I, I'm a developer myself and I felt that. I felt that. It, it, is, it is a pain. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because that, that leads nicely onto something else that you just reminded me of, which is a company called DiffBlue. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, Fahim, but... Uh, Diffblue is effectively a company, um, it's a startup, so it's been around for four years, uh, it's based out of Oxford, and what they focus and specialize on is leveraging AI for code, and what that means is every aspect of the software development lifecycle, so we're talking about security, refactoring, writing tests, and they started off with their first product, uh, which is called the Diffblue Cover, and what Diffblue Cover does is a looks at your Java code and it has the capability of automatically writing unit tests using AI, right? Th this is groundbreaking. This is a problem that companies and big players like Microsoft haven't been able to solve to this day. And Diffblue has, they've broken that barrier. And 
in doing so, they've created a new category. So, you know, for everyone listening to this, um, big shout out to Diff Blue. I've had the pleasure to meet uh, various people that work there, including the CEO, had amazing discussions. Um, great company, great company values, and their mission and the product is amazing. So please do check out Diff Blue at diffblue.com uh, to find out more about their products. And yeah, going back to the point is, that is a trend. It's, it's, it's something that AI is, is able to provide. And when I heard of this, like, you know, Diff Blue cover and being able to automate the creation of unit tests, I almost felt a relief in my heart because as a developer, and like you said, it is a pain. Like developers would rather work on new features and developing stuff because that's what we find fun and attractive. Uh, testing is something that is a component that needs to be there. So, it, you know, it, it is effectively a ever game changing um, uh, trend in uh, in the space. Um, are there any other trends that you, you're aware of uh, yourself? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think going back to the Diff Blue example, I'd say that cre you know, being able to create tests automatically via AI is definitely something that we see a lot of right now. I would say the next step in that, which a lot of companies are also doing, is about having self-healing scripts. So as you change your application, as you introduce new features, as you edit them, as you, you, know, you don't like them, you want to change them to something else, one thing that we see is that you then need to have to maintain all of the scripts that you've just written, which is also you know, a pain for a lot of people. So now there is technology out there from a variety of companies that allows you to self-heal. So automatically, those tests are changing and adjusting and being maintained in various ways, which allow that company to be able to save more time from having to maintain their, you know, their test suites and their test, the amount of tests that they've already written. So that saves a lot of time. It's a big kind of area that we're seeing right now. Another, another I'd say is also around pattern recognition. So when we think about pattern recognition, it's really about can you recognize, recognizing objects and then creating patterns or insights from that. So when we think about pattern recognition in the testing space, it's about saying, okay, is this image the image that we expect it to be, or is it like a completely different image? Is the ad present in the app? So when you, you know a lot of people during lockdown are playing games or casual games, uh, a lot of the games I've downloaded have a lot of ads because I don't want to pay for all those games. So when I think about that, is the ad appearing where it should be appearing? Is it the right type of ad for that audience? So that's another area that we see a lot of, a lot of trends in as well in terms of those two. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned uh, earlier on just the, the maintaining, the maintainability. Um, actually, Diff Blue Cover does that as well. So not only do they uh, have the capability of writing, uh, automating uh, the writing and creation of unit tests, but they also self-heal and update and maintain as you develop code and new features. And this is all um, included hand-to-hand uh, -hand with your CI pipeline, which is just perfect. And, uh, you know, like I said, amazing company. I've had the pleasure to uh, speak to a lot of people there. And uh, the company values is what uh, stood out for me. So very big shout out to Diff Blue. Um, that leads to another very topic that I wanted, uh, you know, interestingly enough, get into. What, what would you say and what would you define the company values and principles and culture of global app testing to be in your, from your experience and from what you know? Yeah, and so, so cultural values are something, something that we have changed and amended over the years, which I think it absolutely should be because you have a new influx of people, new ideas, new cultures coming in. So I think that's always going to be something to, to 
that, that you never see as fixed or static. For us, we have fixed core values. And for us, the first, so the first is about having a really strong vision. So a vision of who you want to be, where you want to go. And even if you don't have that, it's about having the support around you and the willingness to work that out and figure that out through the things that you're doing. So if you value you know, seeing what the future self looks like. So what is what is you in 10 years? And if you want to work that out, if you want to understand that, and you're on a, on a journey yourself to figure that out, then those are the type of people that we really like and that are attracted um, to, to the company. The second is around learning and continuous learning. So having a relentless appetite to always improve yourself and always see yourself like, you know, Jeff Bezos has spoken about, he sees Amazon as like day one. So they're still on ground. They are still on ground level. You know, they are still working to see themselves. They see themselves as a startup, which I think is very admirable for everything that they've done. And to see it, one of the most valuable companies think of themselves in that way is because they're always wanting to learn what is next and be on top of that. So that, that's a really important characteristic in, in culture here. The, the third area is around being able to prioritize and and see the imp- the importance and the important things you should be doing, the, the urgent things you should be doing. So what, what do you class as important and what do you class as urgent? The majority of people spend their life replying to emails or doing reactive tasks or doing tasks for other people. Are they truly working on the most important things? Another area would be around trust. So do we have a level of trust with an individual or with a person? We, ever, we think that everyone has a trust bar and no matter the things that you do, or the things that you don't do, your trust bar is you know, either going up or down. And from that, that will dictate how we feel someone's performance might be, but also how much we trust them with a big task or a big project. Another, another one is around going the extra mile. So going the extra mile as a team. So if you are someone who is, you know, you realize you've got a big project on the run and you need help of other people, those other people, we want the people who are going to say, I'm in it with you. I'm going to stay, I'm going to be in the trenches. I'm going to stay up, stay up late, and I'm going to get that project done with you. Those are the type of people that we want. Anyone who's going to take their team to go the extra mile. And then finally, it's about being authentic. And we have this cultural value, which is about real talk. But essentially, it's about being able to not sugarcoat things, not be impolite, but to be really like real and down to earth with someone and explain to them exactly and have that perspective. And that is where we see that is where we see progress happening. When you actually are going to speak to someone on their level and like level with them, completely level with them about the current situation, be transparent. You don't want you don't want stuff to be hidden by different politics or a variety of things which can stop companies and you know the the five dysfunctions of a team. If anyone's interested, read that. That has a lot of what I just mentioned in that. But those are those are typically what we think of when I think about cultural values. That's amazing, and it sounds like a great company to work for. I definitely want to work for you guys now after hearing all of this. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for uh, letting me in on your culture and um, um, you know company values. Uh, once again, guys, just the important thing to take away from, from today is testing is important. High-quality testing at a increased speed is the sweet spot. That's what every company is aiming for. They're aiming to be quick. They're aiming to also preserve the high quality software whilst increasing that uh, speed of delivery and 
you know, Global App Testing is doing an amazing job. The vision for Global App Testing is to give the ability to instantly and effortlessly find bugs before they impact your users. So if you've sparked a curiosity with Global App Testing, please go check them out, globalapptesting.com. An amazing company, top leaders in the test community industry. They've built a testing industry. They work and host and are involved with conferences, testatons, and so on and so forth. And they work with 40,000, let me say that number again, please, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> 40,000 professional testers um, ready to serve all types of needs and ready to perform all types of testings because there are a number of categories of testings that will validate your software and make sure that the user is always number one priority. Fahim, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, much love and respect to Global App Testing. Once again, shout out to Global App Testing. Go to their website, check them out, globalapptesting.com. And that leads me nicely to my last question, Fahim. What's up and what's next for you? Cool, I like that. All right, so what's what's up for me now is, uh, you know, as people know, and hopefully it's got through this podcast, that I'm incredibly passionate about what we do. I'm very passionate about testing. I'm very passionate about this company and I spent a lot of my time actually now working and having been part of the company for so long, managing different teams and working with a variety of different people and personalities and people who are incredibly smart and talented. So a lot of my time is now spent on figuring out how do we make sure that our people are grow ever growing and the best and the top people that they can possibly be, that they are performing to the absolute best. So that's really where I spend a lot of my time now. In terms of what's next, I would say that for us and for the even for you know for global app testing, I would say that definitely watch this space in the in the next three to six months up until this year. COVID hasn't been you know, we we've seen COVID as an opportunity. I think a lot of other companies have as well. Um, but it's a lot of, it's it's a threat for a lot for different companies and different industries. We are very fortunate that we see this as an opportunity. So. For us, we are going pedal to the metal and doubling down on our strengths. And we have some very, very exciting releases to the market in the next few months. So I would say, watch out for that. Uh, even for, for myself, you know, I post regularly on LinkedIn and write quite a lot. I plan on just upping that cadence a little bit more. I need to be posting a bit more, be a bit more accountable on that side. So just expect a lot more content from me as well. So you know, people can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Fahim Sachadina if they've got questions or if you ever want to get in touch if you need any advice any input I'm always always happy to help and anyone can just email me which is just Fahim at globalapptesting.com and I'm more than happy to help anyone who's got questions awesome um, thank you so much for joining us here today and uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode please make sure to listen to the next episode podcast uh, to find out what's up and what's next <laughs>